Good morning. Good morning. How is everyone doing today? Good. Welcome to New Hope, and we're so glad to see y'all, and I'm so thankful to be with y'all this morning. Um, This is one of my favorite Sundays of the year because it's the first Sunday in Advent, and I'm so blessed to get to be up here with y'all and and introduce this Advent season with you. Um, If we could go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father in heaven, we praise you and we love you and we're so thankful that we get to be in this house with you all together. Wherever we're coming from, whatever we've been doing, we're here together to worship you. Thank you for this time and I open up our time of worship and I pray that your spirit dwell among us and prepare us for what you have for us. We give you this time, Lord, in your name. Amen. We have a couple announcements this morning. The angel tree um, is up and going and it's coming up on on the 18th of December. And you can pick up your angel tree, your thing, at the Hope Center. So after the service, please go to the Hope Center and get your angel from the angel tree so you can shop for that gift. That would be wonderful. The Stand Up for Jesus event is at Shelby High School this next Sunday on the this December 5th, and that will be from four, 1 to 4. And if you are interested in doing that, please see Sandy Melton for more information. And we have announcements from the ACT teams. Good morning. The ACT teams would like to thank everyone for your love and support for helping to make our cookbook project a success. As most of you have probably heard, the cookbooks have arrived and we are very excited about that. We will have a table set up in front of the Hope Center after service for anyone who would like to purchase theirs today. Also, we would like to take take a moment to dedicate our cookbooks. First to God for allowing us to see this project through. With him at the head of our lives, all things are possible. Also, the Act Teens chose to dedicate this cookbook to our beloved Janine Allen Hart. She holds a special place in all of our hearts, and we pray that her sweet spirit lives on. Janine was an act team's leader here in New Hope for many years, and we chose to dedicate our cookbook to her. David could not be here this morning, but the first book goes to David with loving and in memory of Janine. Thank you all again, and hope you all enjoy it. Thank you, girls. I'm so excited about the cookbooks. Those are my only things I use in my life are the church cookbooks, and those are the great. So this morning is Advent, and this is the the Sunday of hope. And we're going to be reading scripture in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty workings of his strength. And this morning, if the Jackson family could come up and light our first candle. I told them not to worry about an introduction. Y'all know more about me than I want you to know already. So that's uh, that's what happens when you've been around a long time, I'll tell you that now. So it's it's fun to be here, though, and it's great to be with y'all this morning, and uh, glad Russ and Melody can have a birthday celebrating it away, so I thought that was pretty cool. They got a birthday the same day, and so uh, 
I was telling some of the sound guys in the back, I had a roommate at Wingate University back a thousand years ago when I was in college, and uh, he was uh, found his wife while he was in high school his senior year, and as they got to know each other better and better, they started, found out they had the same birthday, and also they were born in the same hospital, so they were probably in the nursery together at the hospital the day they were born, and he said it was meant to be from the start, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, but they've done well, been married, and been blessed, and it's, it's just good. But it's good to be here with you. And had the opportunity a few weeks ago to uh, share some of your deacons, and so enjoyed that. And so appreciated that time being with them. But it's always good to be here at New Hope and to be able to share with you. And uh, like for you to uh, uh, keep... Uh, uh, the folks I'm working with now, ministering with in your prayers, I'm working with the Baptist Retirement Homes in North Carolina and just having a great time. It's going to be almost seven years. I tell you, it's hard to believe time is flying. And uh, when I tell people I'm working with retirement homes, they all think I'm retired, but I'm not. You know, that kind of stuff, still working. But we're trying to uh, work with some of our older adults across this state who, uh, you know, just uh, God's blessing and a uh, a number of those folks can't afford care, whether it be with us or anybody else. And so a lot of churches across the state are donating to us and have been doing that for years. And so almost 40% of our residents out of about 600 get some type of benevolent care. And so it's an amazing thing. And um, one of the commitments Baptist Retirement Homes makes is once somebody comes into our homes, we take care of them for the rest of their life. And one of the real issues that we're finding in our day and time is that folks who thought they had plenty of money when they retired or maybe when they came to a retirement community, they're outliving their money. They're living a long time, and it's amazing. And But because of the goodness of Baptist churches across this state and individuals, uh, we can tell them, you don't have to worry about it when your money runs out. A lot of the for-profit places... You know, they'll tell you if your money runs out, you better call somebody. We're going to have your stuff at the door tomorrow. That's what they tell you. But our Baptist Retirement Homes, thankfully, for 70 years has never had anybody leave because they didn't have the resources or their resources ran out. And also, we also help some people who don't have resources come right on in for assisted living and health care as well. And so uh, pray for us because... Did y'all know health care is expensive? Boy, it's amazing. It really is. But, uh, you know, God's blessed us. Uh, we have four communities, and even during COVID, I think we only had eight deaths out of 600 residents that were tested positive with COVID, and that's just absolutely incredible. It just shows some of the care that you give. And uh, it's the kind of care Mary used to give me at the doctor's office back there. I was trying to think a while ago how many shots you've given me over the years, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, it, it's a blessing to be able to help others, and especially our older folks, and, um, and pray for them. Can be mindful of them. Um, one thing that's really opened my eyes in this work that I'm doing is how many older folks just don't have anybody. You know, it's amazing how many of our residents have absolutely no family on the face of this earth left. And so it's absolutely incredible. I always think about a lady I met on the elevator at Brookridge uh, uh, last year, 
it's two days before Christmas and I was over there and we were on the elevator and I said, well, what are you going to do for Christmas? And she said, well, I don't have anywhere to go and I don't have anybody to come and see me. And then she said, but, she said, all of us folks here, we're going to celebrate Christmas. And so it's a great places where they can have family, where if they don't have family, they become family, they have friends and they have a lot in common, really do. And so we're so grateful to be able to, to do that. It's a great ministry. And so, uh, But be mindful of those who are older in your congregation, but not only that, in your community. And uh, lend them a helping hand, maybe just a visit. That'd be a blessing. It really would. So pray for us if you don't mind. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 12. And I want to read to you the first 19 verses of this passage of Scripture. I know this is long Scripture, but I want you to hear this story because it's one that is absolutely amazing, and it's one that also is real. It really is. This is, you know, when we read God's Word and we read some of these things, we might say, boy, that's a great story, you know? But these are things that actually happen as we look at it because Luke gives us these recorded and eyewitness accounts that happened and as we look at it how God worked in some amazing ways and I was thinking as I was uh, you know preparing for today and thinking about today and we lit the first candle of of hope you know one of the greatest things that we have gifts that God has given us is that of prayer do you know that it really is not only individually but corporately as a body of Christ and yeah, there's so many times I've heard people in, throughout my ministry and, and they've talked about, they said, well, you know, I don't have any other hope but just to pray, you know, that kind of thing because it's a great opportunity for us to come into the presence of the Almighty God and not only for us to speak to Him but for Him to speak to us. You see, a lot of times when we pray, we do like we do a lot of other things. We do all the talking, don't we? But one thing God wants us to do is to listen as well. But some amazing things happen when we pray. It says in the scripture, verse 1, New International Version, it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, to put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews... He proceeded to seize Peter too, also. And this happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, Herod intending to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, and the angel told him. 
And Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was having a vision. They passed the first and the second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly an angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked and the outer, at the outer entrance, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord brought him out of prison. And tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. And in the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what became of Peter. And after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. That's an amazing story, isn't it? Would you pray? Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace, and thank you for moving in amazing ways in the lives of your people. And Father, we ask that you would move in our lives today, and Father, that you would be able to do whatever you will and whatever you want in our hearts. And Father, as we look at this today, help us to see the importance in prayer, the importance, Lord, of what this scripture calls earnest prayer. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. It's interesting as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, we see the setting of this scripture was certainly a time of persecution. King Herod that is spoken of here in the scripture here was Agrippa I and he was from the bloodline of some very ruthless rulers as you can imagine as this looks like here who were only after one thing and that was they wanted to increase their power and one way that they could do that was to increase their popularity with the Jews in that day and time and in the place where they live and one way that they did this was by persecuting the early church and the early Christians of that day and time. Now Herod, as we look at it here, as the scripture talks here, his grandfather was Herod the Great who ruled at Jesus' birth. And certainly we see what a ruthless man he was as he sought certainly to kill Jesus there at the very beginning of his life, right when he was born, the time that we're going to be celebrating in just a few weeks to come. But also as we look at it, He was one who was out for popularity. And if he could get everybody on his side, no matter what it took, that's what he was going to do. Persecution was rampant in that day for the people of God. 
Now I think as we look at this, and as I thought about this passage of Scripture several times, if we think we're living through rough days, I don't think I would have wanted to live in that day. You know what I'm saying? Because to know that as the church of Christ, every one of us, if it were, could be jailed for what we're simply doing here this morning. That was what the people were facing. And not only was it jail time, but it was a time where they were going to be put to death. And Herod had imprisoned many, especially the leaders of that day and time of the early church. He imprisoned Peter. He had James, the brother of John, the scripture said, put to death by a sword. And as we look at it, Peter was one that was in prison. And as we catch this story where it's at now, the next morning what was going to happen, he was going to be put up for a public trial. Now I want to tell you, you don't want to be put up in a public trial in this day and time. There was a man named Jesus who was put up to a public trial and the Jews said what? Crucify him, didn't he? And so Peter knew that that was going to mean certain death for him. And so the night before Peter was to be put in in front of this public trial, Peter was asleep and something amazing absolutely took place. You see, when Herod put Peter in prison, you see his mindset was, was to stop the growth of the church. It was to make the Jews happy as we look at it. And I thought it was interesting here how Peter was placed in prison. He was not placed in as a normal prisoner would be, I don't think Peter was a great threat. Do you? I really don't. He didn't need to be put in Alcatraz, anywhere like that. But as far as the Herod was concerned, Peter was one of those people that was threatening his place, his power, certainly as we look at it, and his standing of who he was. And if you'll notice this, Peter was a man, as we look at it, he was placed in a cell and he was to be guarded by four squads of soldiers, of four soldiers each. And now we look at this, we see that each squad would change time as the, every six hours of the day. That would make 24 hours a day. And that was intense. And he had four soldiers who were there with him. There were once uh, two soldiers and they were both handcuffed to him, one on each side. And isn't that an amazing thing? And then there was another squad of soldiers who would be on the outside and they would be guarding the hallway as if something amazing and as if Peter was one of the most ruthless people that had ever lived in the face on the face of the earth. But chained to two soldiers all day long, 24 hours a day, Herod was a man who meant business, didn't he? Don't you think he did? And as we look at it, in his confinement and also his persecution of the people of God and the leaders of God as we look at Peter. But as we look at this passage, another thing that's amazing to me, and that was as we see it, it was night, the scripture says, and Peter was asleep. I want to ask y'all, I know probably a lot of y'all are sound sleepers, aren't you? You think you could sleep in prison? You think you could sleep with two soldiers handcuffed to you? Do you think I'd be it? Do you think you could sleep if you know that the next day you're going to put a, be on public trial and you knew it was going to mean certain death for you? Amen. I don't know about you. We'd probably have to have some sleeping pills, wouldn't we? You'd need something like that. But the scripture says that Peter was asleep. And then it says all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appeared 
and a light shone in the cell. And an angel struck Peter by the side to wake him up. He must have been sound asleep. But I want you to notice also that as all this is taking place, the guards are still asleep. They're not disturbed at all. And the angel told Peter to get up, and when he did, the chains, the handcuffs that was shackled to the other soldiers fell off his wrist. And Peter was instructed to put on his cloak and then his sandals. And he was told to wrap it around him and to follow the angel. And Peter followed him out of prison. The Bible says that Peter didn't really know what, he, what was happening at this point. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought it was a dream. Amen. Boy, wouldn't it be the dream of your life to escape what Peter was looking at in this passage of Scripture? Yeah. And the Scripture says that they passed two sets of guards and then they exited out of the iron gate and the Bible says that the gate opened itself all by itself even without a remote. How about that? And after the angel departed and Peter came to himself, he realized that God had sent this angel. And he had no doubt that his God who had moved earlier so many times was still moving in his life. And he was leading him to his freedom. And you look at this passage and say, what was behind all of this? What was causing all of this to take place? I think verse 5 is really the key to it. It says in verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Someone has said that when the early Christians were up against it, and boy, they were in those days of persecution as we look at it, as they were starting the movement of Christ and continuing it on in that day and time, they turned to God. And isn't it interesting as we look at this passage of Scripture that before the death of Jesus, when Jesus had the disciples and he was teaching them, and and then as it came to the point where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus knew the importance of prayer and what it meant and knew the importance of completing his mission, he was going to need the help of God. And so he went in the garden to pray and he told the disciples to come along with him. But what was happening in the disciples when Jesus was in that garden? They were asleep, weren't they? Isn't it amazing? They were asleep, sound asleep. They were tired, I'm sure they were. And Jesus was one who was tired as well. But he knew what was before him and he knew what was going to give him the ability to follow through and God's will for his life was to pray and to seek the presence and the power of his heavenly father. But we see that after the death and then the resurrection of Jesus, we see that the disciples had changed some. Those disciples who were asleep when Jesus was praying and when he needed prayer and he needed others to join him the most, probably. The scripture says that they were assembled in an upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. The scripture says in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, 
that as they, they were going from house to house and they were sharing all things in common and they were praying. That's one of the things that they did was they prayed together. And they prayed in the church when Peter was in prison. We see other times where Paul and Silas were imprisoned and being persecuted and they, are long, they were praying as well. They were praying and speaking about the Lord and asking God's goodness upon them when there were many unbelievers even around. Someone has said that the most important place to pray is any place that you can be with God. And there's not any place that he is not with you. Jesus himself prayed to get guidance and power from his Father to do his will. Look at what happened as a result of the church earnestly praying. We see in this passage of scripture that Peter was freed in a miraculous way. The earnest prayers of the church for him led to his freedom. It led to an amazing moving of the Almighty God in his life. And I believe that as we look at this passage today, it has a lot to say for us in the days in which we live. We're looking at a lot of interesting issues in our day and time, aren't we? We're looking at a lot of things that are threatening in many ways throughout our life and and our way of life and our health. Obviously, there's the virus that's there, and now we're hearing about another uh, strand of virus that's coming that may be dangerous as well. We have all kinds of people who are out of work. We have businesses that can't find people to work. We have all kinds of things that are hurting people in many different ways because of the pandemic and many other things that are happening. Social distancing and its effects, I'm going to tell you what, folks, that's real. It really is. We saw that in a tremendous way in our Baptist retirement homes. We did, and it was amazing because our people for almost a year couldn't even leave their rooms. And it was so difficult, and we used to find out what it means for us to be around others. You know, last Thanksgiving, we had to spend it basically by ourselves, didn't we? But I'm going to tell you what, there's something about a hug, there's something about a handshake, there's something about just being with people. God intended us to be like that, I think. But for our health, sometimes we couldn't. And it's had lasting effects on so many people. I know a lot of people who were in the hospital and nobody could go see them. We experienced this in my life. My dad passed away this past May and he fell, which was uh, on Thursday before Easter and he was in the hospital. Only one person from my family could see him in the hospital any time that he was in there. And my mom never got to see my dad after he fell the Thursday before Easter until the 13th of May when he passed away. You know a lot of people who passed away in those circumstances and they couldn't have funerals. You can't grieve the way that you usually do. Especially the people of God. What do we do? We rally around people like that. And I tell people a lot of times when I'm I'm doing deacon trainings and things like that that when we're ministering to people who are grieving or having tough times, the ministry of presence is so real and so powerful. It's more important than words because what you say doesn't mean a lot if you're not there so many times. But you know, 
for a long time, we couldn't be there. I know families that are suffering from guilt because they couldn't be there when their loved one died. They couldn't have a funeral service that that loved one would have loved and that they wanted to do to honor somebody that they loved. There's a lot of anxiety that is tremendous in our communities and in our world today. On top of that, you probably know a lot of people that are facing drug issues. It's rampant all around us. Alcohol problems, family issues. Talked to a friend the other, yes, just yesterday. Spent about an hour with him. He's got some family issues that are just absolutely crushing him. You know what, folks? Reality is we're chained to a lot of things just like Peter was chained to those guards with seemingly no way out. But there is something we can do and there's something I believe God calls us to do as the church. And that is not to just pray, but to earnestly pray. Pray any way that you will. I'm going to tell you, you know, isn't it easy sometimes to just pray? When you do a blessing, you just pray. You know what I'm saying? My oldest son and his wife and two kids, uh, my little grandson Cooper, seven, my granddaughter Quinn had just turned five. Mother's son, his whole family was sick. They couldn't be there for Thanksgiving when they were there. When we had our Thanksgiving blessing, they said, let's let, let's let people, that's what they call them, people pray. And the kids wanted to say the prayer. I was thinking, let's let them pray. You know, I'd rather hear them pray. But I did, but Quinn, she wanted to pray. And I'm going to tell you what, I said my prayer. And, you know, special time. And then I said, okay, Quinn, it's your turn. And she grabbed her hands just like this and bowed her head. And I'm going to tell you what, that little girl said a blessing, remembering people that made tears come to every one of our eyes. I prayed the best I could, but boy, I'm going to tell you, she beat me. She was earnest. She was real. It was heartfelt what she was praying for. And that was something that was very special. I want to tell you something about earnest prayer. Earnest prayer opens up the floodgates of heavens, my friends. It really does. But I want to tell you something else about earnest prayer. Earnest prayer will first change you. It'll change you. It'll make you become more like Jesus, Okay. If you want to know if your prayer life's effective, see if there's something changing in your life so that you'll become more like what Jesus wants you to be. And earnest prayer causes things to happen because God works in those situations and then we find ourselves in those and we see him working in amazing ways and we say, this can't really be happening, <laughs> you know. That's what Peter said, wasn't it? And then he kind of woke up and he said, this really did happen. This wasn't a dream. This was God at work. I have so many people that 
have given me so many examples of earnest prayer along my life and in my ministry. It's something that's just absolutely amazing. Most of y'all know Jose Espinal that worked with us at the association. He just retired this past year. Jose was one of the greatest guys I ever met in my life. I love him today. I still love him like a brother. But I'm going to tell you, when we were working together, Jose had come to me and said, Dixon, I don't think he still knows my first name. He just called me Dixon all the time. And he said, Dixon, he said, we need to do this. I said, Jose, I'm looking at this. And I'd say, how much is it going to cost? And he'd give me an idea. I said, I don't know if we've really got the money right that. He said, money doesn't matter, Dixon. He said, we pray. He said, God will provide. And I'm going to tell you what. If God told Jose to say something, you better not throw money at him. I'll tell you that now as an issue. Because every time we stepped out on faith and we knew that God was leading, God more than supplied. He really did. But that's when you get down to earnest prayer. You know, it really is. It's when you know there's a need, you know God is in it, and he works when we pray. Have you ever wondered what would have happened to Peter if the church had not prayed? I know a lot of y'all pray. Let's earnestly pray. Because there are people in our church probably. There are people in our community I know. There are people in our country and in our world. Unless God moves, they're hopeless. They're hopeless. And today, we lit the candle of hope. And we need to pray earnestly pray that the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ will move in our life and in their life because it will make all the difference in the world. It will make chains that we are chained to fall off and he can set us I want to ask you this morning what's the greatest concern of your heart right now? The greatest concern of your heart Maybe something other people know. It may be something that only you know. Maybe somebody that's struggling. Maybe a situation that you prayed for for a long time. Maybe something that's brand new. But what's the greatest concern of your heart? I want to ask you if you do something this week. If you make a commitment this morning to set a time, a time every day that you know you're going to be freed up for a while, but where you would be concerned enough about this item that is in your life.
that you just get down to business and earnestly pray. And in faith, look and watch every day for God to move. May some be some things as a church that you need to gather. I think Russ told me, and I saw in the bulletin, that y'all are having a, some prayer time at 5.30 or something. Folks, I'm going to tell you, one of the hardest things to get do, people to do nowadays is come pray. It really is. One of the hardest things. There's nothing we need more. Right. Nothing we need more. Because this scripture and countless others tell us what happens when God's people earnestly pray. Because folks, we got a living God who wants to work in our lives. Will you let him work in your situations by beginning in prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you for the opportunity that we have, Father, to speak to you. There's one thing about a relationship. When we have a best friend, Lord, one thing we do as friends is we talk to each other. And Father, if we don't get to see each other much, we just long to talk to those that we're close to and those that we love. And Father, that's what you give us through your son, Jesus Christ, a relationship. And Father, you want us to talk to you. And Father, you want to talk to us and lead us. And so Father, help us to get serious about prayer so that as the house of God here Father, this will be a church that if the scripture's written a thousand years for, uh, from now and added to, it'd be new hope earnestly prayed. And Father, that need that you put on our heart just a minute ago, we know what it is. Father, you've quickened our hearts to it, I pray again. Help us to make the commitment to bring it earnestly before you, believing that you're going to move. And whatever might bind us or chain us to that issue, oh God, I pray that as you move, the chains will fall off and you'll set us free. Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day that as your spirit speaks to them, they would come to know you. I'd love to share with them how to be a Christian. And Father, as a Christian, if there's something that's standing in between us and our relationship with you, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to repent of that. And Father, that we would draw closer to you every day. That's what you want in our life. Certainly if there's somebody who needs a church home, what a great place to serve you here at New Hope. Father, speak to us during this invitation and help us to move. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.